Hey, this is Beth Nelson. I serve as the lead pastor at Prairie Heights Community Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for listening today. I hope this motivates you. I hope it builds your faith and helps you connect with Christ and a church family at Prairie Heights. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Prairie Heights. All right. Hey, my name is Byron, and it's always good to be with you. Uh, We are wrapping up today the series, It's Not You, It's Me. And it's all about relationships. And as Troy mentioned earlier, we're going to take a look at relationships in the workplace today. So when you think about work, you think about jobs, I mean, how many of you have had at least three or four different jobs in your life? Okay, definitely the majority of you, yeah. I had numerous jobs growing up. Uh, I grew up on a farm, and so uh, one of the jobs that uh, most of you will not understand is that I, I grew up in the summer, spring and summer picking up rocks. <laughs> You're going, why would you do that? Can't you do that in your driveway? Well, let me tell you, we're, we're, we're talking big rocks, the rocks that hurt machinery, all right? And so uh, I got along pretty good when I was hired with a work crew, but when I did it with my siblings, uh, you know, then sibling rivalry, why didn't you get that one? That was in your lane, you know, and we would argue back and forth. And then when you grow up on a farm, you also get to uh, pull out cockleburrs, or thistles in the beans. And now with modern day herbicides, you know, you have to worry about that. So and again, growing up on a farm, uh, I lived in an agricultural area. And so for five months during college season, I worked at a factory that built manure spreaders. Serious. We had a motto. We stand behind our product except when it's running. My boss said I was really good at my job. He said something about me being full of it. I don't know really what he meant by that, but I'll let you kind of ponder that and figure that out. You know, bosses and supervisors, they can be unreasonable. Uh, I mean, let's just see how Lucy and Ethel are doing at their job at the chocolate factory. All right, girls, now this is your last chance. If one piece of candy gets past you and into the packing room unwrapped, you're fired. Yes, ma'am. Let her out. <laughs> well, this is easier. Yeah, we can handle this, okay?
fine. You're doing splendidly. Speed it up, That's timeless. That's also when television was really good. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you talk about a, uh, a difficult boss or supervisor. Speed it up. Now, when you think about work and the challenges and sometimes getting along with your coworkers and how hard is work and, you know, what's the future of your job and all of that, it might be good for us to do a little biblical history of work and why relationships at the workplace can be difficult. So I'm going to take you back to the first book in the Bible, to Genesis. And one of the things I love about Prairie Heights is that we have people coming here who have been following Jesus for decades. And we have people coming here, this is your first Sunday that you've been in a church maybe ever, or at least in a long, long time, and this whole idea of looking into a Bible might be new to you. It doesn't matter where you're at right now in your faith journey, we're just glad you're here, and we're going to check out what God's Word has to say. So, you know, God creates the world and the animals and everything, and He creates Adam and Eve, and there's this perfect place called the Garden of Eden. And in verse 28 of chapter 1, then God blessed them and said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. So even before sin entered the world, God had in mind the idea of work. To govern it means they were supposed to be caretakers for the creation that God had given them. So what do they do? Adam and Eve, they blow it. Satan comes along in the form of a serpent and tempts them to eat an apple off of the tree of life. And so God had warned them not to do it, but they give in to temptation, they sin. And so now there's consequences. They get kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And in chapter 3, verses 16 to 19, God says to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. Now, just a, just a little comment here. He says, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. So I'm guessing that means that prior to sin, it might have been a little uncomfortable to have a baby, but now we're talking pain. Some of you women right now, boy, that Eve, she really messed things up. Oh, my goodness. And to the man, he said, since you listen to your wife, and men, can I just say, it's, it's really a good idea to listen to our wives, but not in this situation, and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat." Once sin became reality in this world through Adam and Eve, all of us here this morning ever since have been born with a sinful nature. We're all sinful. We're all sinners. 
And so even work can be very, very difficult and frustrating and challenging and disappointment and dreams can be shattered. And primarily it's because of this issue called sin. It's no longer a perfect world. We are imperfect creations of God. We fall short. And this means that since we're sinful people, working with sinful people, relationships are gonna struggle. It's just, it's just a fact of, of the reality of sin. To give you an example of how when we are not doing right, it affects people around us because the series is, it's not about you, it's about me. Well, let me tell you about a lady who really didn't realize or wasn't thinking about the fact that it was her. Years ago when I was flying all the time, in fact, I, I made two trips a month from Minneapolis to Denver, uh, this was about the time that Northwest and Delta were merging their airlines. And uh, I took two flights a month and I kind of had my routine. I would take an early morning flight out of Minneapolis. You know, I'd drink a bunch of coffee to wake up before I got on the plane and I knew that when we would take off, I mean, I could sense, you know, when the plane was gonna level off and that fasten your seatbelt sign light would go off. Well, this was a problem one day because there was mechanical error and they had to fix it. So that meant the plane sat on the tarmac for 45 minutes. That means that my routine is off, right, for going to the bathroom. I mean, I had to go. I had to go before we ever took off, and I'm just going, oh, my goodness, how are we going to do this? Oh, boy. I, I even prayed. I said, Lord, Lord, help me, help me, help me. Too much coffee, too much coffee. And so the plane takes off, and during that time, I could hear the flight attendants in the back arguing. They were blaming something that had happened, and primarily it was one individual who I could tell she was really sort of snippy. You know what that word means? Just sort of growly and irritable and just, just saying nasty things to some of the other flight attendants. And she was mad at Northwest for merging with Delta. And the, you could just tell she was having a really, really bad day. And the relationships with her coworkers was a little struggling, let's just say that. So I kept waiting. The plane is about to level off. I'm sitting six rows from the back, nearest to the restroom, so I could get a jump on it. And I just waited and waited, and I could tell when we're about to level off and that fashion seatbelt light is gonna go off, and I couldn't wait any longer, so I got up, and I started walking toward the back. When I get to the back, this crabby flight attendant is sitting there, you know, still strapped in with the seatbelt. And I came walking up, and I smiled, and I was gonna go into the restroom, and she looks at me, and she goes, what do you think you're doing? I said, excuse me? What do you think you're doing? That, that, you know, that finger just kept coming out like that. What do you think you're doing? I said, I, man, I have to go to the bathroom. The fasten seatbelt light is not off yet. You cannot go to the restaurant. I mean, she was just intense. And I said, I'm sorry, I, it's gonna happen any minute, but I just really, really, really have to go. And she said, sir, if you go in there, we are not liable for an accident. And I said, ma'am, if I don't go in there, there's gonna be an accident right here. So I went in, and I was intense now. And so in there, you know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And I felt bad because I, I had snapped at this woman. So I came back out, and I'm going to ask for forgiveness. And I said, ma'am, I just want to apologize. That's as far as I got. She goes, sir, don't you ever do that again. Can I just tell you the next time that happens, I suggest that you stay in your seat and pee in your pants. 
only she didn't use the word be. <laughs> and I just went, wow. I couldn't believe it. But then again, when I sat down, I thought, this would make a great story if I ever get invited to speak at Prairie Heights Community Church in Fargo, North Dakota. <laughs> when we are struggling, we're not easy to be with and we make others around us. In fact, hurting people often hurt others. And so we can't control what other people are like in the workplace, but we've got to do our part. Now, that's a humorous story about somebody who was hurting, who didn't recognize that they were the problem. But sometimes it's so, so sad and tragic, and there's nothing humorous about it because sin and evil has entered this world. I realized that back in mid-November, there was this horrific murder here in downtown Fargo at, at a workplace. And just reminds me, years ago, as a pastor, one of my board members worked in a local factory, and there had been one individual who was disgruntled and causing havoc with some of the other co-workers, and evil abounded, and one morning, this young man walked into the factory at 7.30 and shot and killed my friend Howard. That's evil. And you might say, Byron, that's really extreme to tell us that. Mm, no. It's a good reminder of the world in which we live where there's this battle going on between Satan trying to take over the world and keep people away from Jesus all we have to do is look around right now what's happening in our world. Every few hours there's an update about what's going on in Ukraine and the horrible evil that has been controlling Putin from Russia. And I don't know all the dynamics, but it's pretty obvious we could tell this is not right. This is not right. Can you imagine some of the conversations going on in Putin's leadership team in the president of Ukraine's leadership team, in the leadership team at the White House. You talk about relationships that I'm sure are tense and intense. People are opposing each other. Satan is trying to win the battle. And so I just feel compelled at this moment, just to take a moment in God's house for us to stop and pray. Can we do that? Father, in Jesus' name, I praise you and thank you that you are sovereign, that you are in control. But in Jesus' name, we cry out to you that your power would intervene, that you would, that you would help Putin recognize what he is doing and taking the lives of innocent people and taking freedom away from people. Father, we lift up the Ukrainian nation. Would you protect them? Lord, would you bring this to a conclusion? Lord, we lift up all the churches. There's so many churches. We have friends in Ukraine. I'm sure people in this auditorium have friends in Ukraine. Would you encourage and strengthen the churches there that are, are staying there and trying to help meet the needs of people? Lord, when it appears there's no hope, we know that ultimately nothing's impossible with you. So in Jesus' name, we ask that you will step in. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you think about the workplace and relationships, 
I find this very, very fascinating. You might think that one of the main reasons people leave one job for another job is because of money. Now, yes, a lot of times that happens. People want to get paid more. Or a lot of times people will change jobs because it's a promotion as far as the org chart is concerned. But research is showing that the two primary reasons for people leaving one job and going to a different job are this. Number one, they don't feel valued or appreciated in their current job. Do you feel valued or appreciated in your work? Number two, it's the people they work with. They can't take it anymore. You know, I'm not going to ask you to show your show a raise of hand, but how many of you have ever worked with somebody who's really frustrating and annoying? Yeah. Oh, some of you can't help yourself. You're just going, yes, 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 yes. But if we're honest, at times, maybe we're the annoying, frustrated person. So today, in the next few minutes, we're going to take a look at how we can do our part to make healthier relationships at the workplace. And whether you own a company, you work for a company, you own a, a, a factory, or you work on the assembly line at the factory, whether you're in sales, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a healthcare worker, and all the dynamics can be different. And I know maybe some of you work alone. Some of you are working remotely, especially since COVID and during that season. And then I want to highlight Perhaps you are a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad. You have an amazing job. And when you're home with little ones, can I just say, healthy relationships can be a challenge, right? Absolutely. So let's trust God and open our minds here to see how we might apply what we're going to take a look at. So I'm going to suggest three ways on how you and I might go about to build healthier relationships in our workplace, all right? We need a foundation to start with. So let's go, I'm gonna back up just for a second. We're gonna go to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 23, Paul writes this, work willingly at whatever you do as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Bottom line is this, work can be tough, People can be difficult and challenging, and some days we might not feel like working or going to work, but the difference is, if we answer what Paul is instructing us to do here, it's simply this, we do it for the glory of God. And that's a game changer. If we have a difficult supervisor, we can perhaps deal with that if we remember, but I'm going to do my part for the glory of God. So when you think about doing this for the glory of God, now let's focus on those three ways of building healthier relationships. And here's the first one. We need to build trust. We need to build trust. Good friend of mine by the name of David Horsager, uh, he has a company called Trust Edge. He wrote a New York Times bestseller called Trust Edge. I'm gonna comment on a couple of books, leadership development books here this morning. I highly encourage you to get a hold of that book. It's amazing, and here what all of his, here's what, an example of what his research has found is that trust, the lack of trust, is the greatest cost to any workplace, business, or company, the lack of trust. 
When you have trust in the work culture, you have the greatest opportunity to be effective and to succeed. And the same is true for each and every one of us to build that kind of trust. Dr. Henry Cloud, he wrote a book called Integrity. And in the book, he talks about this analogy of being in a boat and leaving a wake behind you. Now, if you see the picture behind me, you might go, oh, I wouldn't mind being on some skis or at least an inner tube behind that. that. That'd be fun. The question that Cloud challenges us to ask is, as we go through life, and specifically I'm going to ask, as we are in our workplace, what kind of wake are we leaving behind us? One that lifts people up and allows them to soar and to be their best? Or do we leave a wake that tends to wipe others around us, wipe them out? The question is, are you and I building trust? The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter four, verses one to three, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life that's worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. I just want to comment on that part there. What does he mean by live a life that's worthy of your calling? Let's just talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. We looked at the Garden of Eden before, and we know that we are all born sinful. We also know, according to God's word, that unless we are forgiven of our sin, when this life is over, we will spend an eternity apart from God. But God in his unconditional love loved each of us so much, for John 3.16 tells us he loved the world so much he doesn't want anyone to perish, that anyone who believes in Christ will not perish but have eternal life. That's the good news. That is the good news. That's the calling. Now the question is, in our workplace, are you and I living a life that's worthy of who Christ is in our life and what he's done for us? He goes on and he says, so always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. How do we make that happen in a practical way? I'd like to give you three C's that I think might help us build trust. And no matter what our job or no matter how many people we work with, or even if we are primarily relating to people remotely, I think each of these are applicable. Here's the first C. We need character. Now, character is who I am when I don't think anyone can see me. Now, you see the photo of the young lady there, and I'm not really sure if she's putting a mask on or if she's taking the mask off. It's not about COVID, it's about revealing who she really is. Sometimes I think you and I, if we're really honest, we know that our character needs work. Our character needs God's control. And so we might mask up trying to keep our true character when we don't think anyone is seeing us hidden from people we work with. But part of admitting that it's not about you, it's about me, is realizing that God, I need your forgiveness every day. I want my character to be more like Jesus. The second C is competence. This is what we do and how well we maximize our abilities. You see the picture of uh, Mr. Frank Walenda crossing the Grand Canyon on a tightrope. 
This just blows my mind when they do this, this kind of stuff. <laughs> Unbelievable. And I'm just imagining, I don't know this for sure, but you know, he, he has a normal life. Can you picture the morning of that he's at breakfast and his wife is sitting next to him and she goes, so honey, tell me, are you feeling competent today? I believe I am. I sure hope so. I want to see you again. Oh yeah, two more cups of coffee and I should be good to go across the Grand Canyon. Now, we don't go across the Grand Canyon, but we have talent, we have gifts, we have skills. It's all about competence. And not only will character make an impact on the relationships that work around us, but being very competent and for people to see us as being committed to growing in competence and becoming better at developing who we, who we are with our talents and our gifts and our skills. Ask ourselves this question. Is my character and is my competence reflecting Christ in my life? Here's the third C, chemistry. This is who I am around others and how they perceive me. For those of you who are the Office fans, I mean, Michael Scott, he was always struggling in chemistry. You know, he, EQ is a term, emotional quotient. It's self-awareness. And Michael very seldom was really self-aware of how he was coming across. The chemistry issue was an issue for him and his colleagues at his office. A good question to ask ourselves is this. What do you think that people are thinking or saying about me when I'm not in the room? That'll tell you a lot about how our chemistry is with those around us. All right, let's go to the second way on how we might do our part to build healthier relationships in the workplace. Lead with humility. Lead with humility. Picture the scene in Mark chapter 9. The disciples in Jesus, they're heading to Capernaum, and it says this. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing <clears throat> Excuse me, out on the road? But they didn't answer him because they'd been arguing about who was the greatest. He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, listen, guys, listen. It's not about who's going to be the greatest. In fact, hear this. Whoever wants to be first must be willing to take last place and be the servant of everyone else. To be great, we must be humble, we must be serve, we must serve others. To be a leader, we must be willing to be a slave, to be humble, to serve others. Uh, I love eating at Chick-fil-A. By the way, if that makes you hungry, just a reminder, they're not open today, it's Sunday. <laughs> just in case you want. Uh, I have several friends who own Chick-fil-A restaurants. Uh, years ago, I sat at the headquarters near Atlanta, Georgia, over 700 employees, and I'm doing some research, and so I'm asking the employees, I said, now, now tell me, when I go into a restaurant and I get my Diet Coke refill, they'll smile and look me in the eye and say, my pleasure. I said, where does that come from? And I'll never forget what they said. They said, it starts at the top. We live and work in a culture of humble servitude. People lead with humility around here. 
What might happen in your workplace, in my workplace, if we truly were doing that? Here's a couple of examples from Proverbs that teach us what it means to lead with humility. It means that we have to humble ourselves. Proverbs 15, 31, if you listen to constructive criticism, you're going to be at home among the wise. If we're open to feedback, if we're humble enough to take constructive criticism, we're going to grow in wisdom. Proverbs 27, 6, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. We don't need people in our lives who are brown-nosing us, telling us how good we are without being sincere about it, but we do need friends who are willing to sometimes say the hard thing, speak the truth in love, so that we might be who God wants us to be in the workplace. So to make this more practical, I want to show you a diagram that I like to call leading in 4D. Not 3D, but leading in 4D or four directions. Here's the first direction. Every day, no matter what your job, no matter what your workplace is, we should start by leading in, reflecting. Okay, God, what's my attitude like today? God, show me today. Where do I need to change What's the attitude I need to change with a colleague at work? Who could hold me accountable? It starts here. The second direction that we need to lead with humility in is to lead up. And you might go, well, Byron, it's pretty hard to lead up, lead my boss, lead my supervisor. Well, you don't walk in and go, hey, boss, just so you know, I'm going to start leading you. That's not the idea. The idea is to humbly give influence in our bosses or supervisors' work and life. How can I do my job with a serving attitude? We might ask ourselves as we think about our boss. How can I encourage my supervisor and help him or her look good, make the company succeed? The third direction is to lead down with humility. Now, it's one thing to be humble toward our supervisor, but here's the question. As leaders, if we supervise others, if we own a company, we have a bunch of employees, the question is, are we going to be able to lead down by serving them, by being humble around them, by holding them accountable through humility, through encouragement, through building a culture that values character and competence and chemistry? And then the last direction, to lead out. These are our peers, those who we work beside. How can we encourage them for the mission and the purpose of our workplace? And then you'll see the little red arrows coming in. Are we willing to listen to them and let them reciprocate, encourage us, give us feedback that we perhaps need in case we are not being humble the way God would want us to be humble? Here's the last way I'd like to suggest that we can build healthy relationships at the workplace. We need to seek to resolve conflict. Seek to resolve conflict. Now the photo you see here, just so you know, this is not two staff people here at Prairie Heights having a discussion, it's not. I, I checked with them, no. Now you might go, well, the conflict, it, do, it doesn't really look that way at my place. You know, a lot of times in a workplace, conflict is people just, they withdraw and they don't talk to each other. They don't give each other eye contact. But let's be honest, sometimes it comes to this with arguing and yelling and threats. How are we going to seek to resolve conflict? Well, 
Paul says in Ephesians 4 that we should speak the truth in love. He says we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Now, if we're practical, we might go, okay, that sounds good, you know, but isn't Paul writing this to believers? Yes. But shouldn't we act like a believing follower, growing follower of Jesus Christ in the workplace with secular-minded people who have yet to come to the place where they know Jesus? To learn how to speak the truth, but to do it in love and with humility. He goes on in chapter four and he says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. If we really live that way, we're going to be contagious in a good way at the workplace. Conflict at the workplace often involves these issues. Take a look at this. And they sort of come together. It's sort of like a collision. On one hand, you're going to have opposing opinions. And with that, you're going to have strong emotions. And you're going to have high stakes that are involved. If you work at a company where the employees are really threatening mutiny or you have a sales team that sees something different from another team at your company. There's gonna be strong emotion, opposing opinions, and the stakes are high. It's about the success, not just of the company, but of the individuals who work for the company. This might be true in the healthcare industry. Opposing opinions, strong emotions, high stakes. This can be true in a school setting. A school board, administration, teachers, you get the picture. It can also be true in a family-owned business. And that's when it can really be a challenge. And I know some of you probably have a family-owned business where family members are employees. Then you still have strong emotion, opposing opinions, and the stakes are high because now it's not just the bottom line. It's your relationship, isn't it? Well, to wrap it up, let me give you a little acronym using the word talk. Because in order to resolve conflict, it comes to a point, as James, uh, as Joseph Granny says in his book, Crucial Conversations, sometimes you need that crucial conversation. You just go, okay, can we talk? Isn't it time to have this talk? To put a practical side on it, here we go. T is that we trust each other through mutual purpose and respect. Trust each other. Now, we may have an opposing opinion with strong emotion, but can we trust each other because we both want what's best for the company? We want what's best for raising our kids. A, ask each other for their story and facts. It's not about getting together to talk with somebody who you're in conflict with and just coming in going, all right, here's the deal. I know what's right. We need to ask the other individual or the other team. 
for their story? What's their perspective? Why are they seeing things the way they are? We might learn some new facts about the situation. L, look for understanding opportunity for action. It might be just one small step and that one small step might be, hey, well, at least we're on talking terms again. Let's meet, a next, let's meet next week again to continue. That's a small step. And K, keep listening and speaking the truth in love. You see that? Listen, listen, listen. And keep speaking the truth in love. When I think about what happened in Acts chapter two in the early church, for some of you who are new to this, it's an amazing story of how Christ's church began. Jesus has already died on the cross and risen from the grave. He's ascended back into heaven. And now the church is being formed. His followers get together to learn, to share, to minister to other people, to show love to the world around them. In fact, in in Acts chapter two, we find that Peter, one of the disciples, he preaches this sermon and over 3,000 people put their faith in Christ. And they begin to be part of the early church that was already established. Imagine what might happen here at Prairie Heights is if overnight 3,000 new believers all wanna start coming to Prairie Heights. It's not just gonna happen magically. There's gonna be work involved. There's going to be a need for relationships that are healthy for the leaders and the volunteers and working together. Because in that early church, they were sharing meals. They were teaching small groups. In fact, they were so generous, they were selling possessions and sharing with people in need. Now, ask me if that's gonna take some healthy relationships for that to become reality. Think of it this way. I know some stories right here at Prairie Heights. I know similar stories at the church where I'm on staff at Eagle Brook of where people who really wanted to do their part to represent Christ in their relationships to others they work with, they made such a difference that people started noticing the conversation continued. They were able to talk about Christ changed my life. Hey, you should check out my church. I know people who have become Christ followers here because of faithful followers of Jesus in the workplace here in the Fargo area. Can that be you and me? Let's do our part, build trust, lead with humility, seek to resolve conflict, and we'll give God the glory because he's at work. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, uh, we just commit the look we just gave to your word uh, and the words in the message And I pray, again, because your spirit is so amazing at helping each of us apply something. Uh, Would each of us be open this coming week, uh, first of all, just to come to you with our hurt and our frustration with something going on at work and in relationships with difficult people. But Father, help us to lead in by taking inventory, reflecting every day, are we doing our part? Lord, show us where we might need to change. Lord, help us to be contagious with your love in the workplace so that, again, people would come to know you and have their lives changed both now 
and for eternity. We love you and we praise you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to those of you who give generously to Prairie Heights. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit prairieheights.com give for more information. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, or even take a screenshot and share it on your social media and tag us at Prairie Heights. Thank you for listening.